welcome to the first uh, Church and Other Drugs of 2019. Right? Or did I do yeah, one? Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Is that? I don't know. Yeah. Or the second. Whatever. Yay. My name's Jed. <laughs> my name's Debesh. How's it going, man? I'm chilling, man. I'm chilling. Um, yeah. Just uh, just hanging out. Um, wondering if Oregon will decriminalize mushrooms so I can... Just take them legally in sobriety. Yes, the uh, mycelium mecca up there. Uh, The psilocybin uh, state. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Yeah. Is it looking like it's going to happen? So they're putting this on a voter, on the the ballot, to decriminalize mushrooms. And I think you would actually be able to grow them also— Kind of like with weed up here, like you're allowed to grow six plants in your house. How many do you have? Uh, like 20. <laughs> <laughs> Always Zero. a lawbreaker. Zero congregation. I swear to God I'm sober, even though people don't believe me. This, uh, that's So are you going to go vote? Uh, no, actually, I well, so I have a weird thing right now happening, like... Like I was on, you know, I had had legal stuff in the past, and like everything got cleared. Uh-huh. But for some reason, when I tried to vote last time, I wasn't able to because like some, you know, you know, didn't dot my eyes and cross my t's. Like it, I, I don't know. Oh, so you're like not allowed? They're like, we don't want yeah. you to vote felon. Which is crazy. I could be a doctor, but I can't Isn't, vote. That is hilarious. <laughs> no, that, that's doctor fell into you, you son of a bitch. How dare you? You, you came so across the. You up. came up against the justice system and right. lost. Right. So how about uh how about this uh yeah government shutdown, buddy? Oh yeah, I mean it's massively affecting me. Well, you know, I don't. Who does this affect? I'm still paying taxes. Yeah, well, it's going to affect us. We're we're flying out, but like the TSA is calling in sick in droves. Apparently. Oh what? That's <laughs> awesome. Isn't it? That's total. That's I don't blame you, dude. Yeah. Wow. So they're just wait. Why are they calling in sick? They are they not work without paid? pay, dude? The post office. <laughs> they have to. Isn't that some bullshit? I know, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's so funny, because it's just like, so like the, the Homeland Security, what is it? They did like a, um, they did like a, a test on the TSA to like check them, you know? And what is it, like 95% of the people that they like came in that were like with bombs and stuff or fake bombs, they didn't find. Oh, I believe it. It's worthless. Yeah. It's yeah. worthless. <laughs> it's absolutely worthless, like. Oh. It, it takes everything out of me when I get searched or something bad happens there for me not to start quoting studies. Do you know the only? Do you know? Do you know the only thing? That fucking TSA really screwed up, and I was so <laughs> mad about it. Like, do you remember when ecstasy went from really good to really bad? Oh, that was on them. That was because of they were September eleventh, right? Yep. Well, because it was being flown over from like the Netherlands and all all sorts of places, and because of the That's freaking right. terrorists. We lost good ecstasy, and that was the the rise of bath salts and shit. Bath salts, yeah, that's the only thing. T- Thank you, TSA. Right for ruining for us my bath jibbers. salts yeah. and making us smoke more meth. You pieces of shit. Yeah, I hear. I hear uh, ecstasy's making a comeback. 
I heard that. Word on the streets. Yeah, I don't believe it. I believe it when I when, I believe <laughs> yeah. it when I roll. Because who's telling you that? Like eighteen year olds, you right? Know? Yeah, the same the same eighteen year olds that are telling me they took twelve hits of acid. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, here's here here's here's here you go, congregation. Here's a little cheat sheet for you. If you take twelve hits of acid and you're okay, it's not acid. Well, well, I know, da, ba, 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 okay, no. okay. Wait, well, I I I ended up developing a tolerance for a long time. Sure, 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 sure. Because so, so like, but like these, I mean, they're not old. These, enough these are like the first tolerance. time I took acid. I took no, eighteen dude, hits, bro. Yeah. No, that was some didn't. really good water. That was some good Aquafina. Mm, index card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we, we did that to my friend as like an experiment in high school. We just cut up construction paper and, and gave it to him and told him it was acid, and he acted like he was tripping. And <laughs> the power uh, who knows? Maybe maybe he there. actually was. You know, placebo is a hell of a drug. Placebo is a hell of a drug, man. I was listening to Joe the other day, just like oh, it's yeah, like y'all so- are on a first name. Oh yeah, we are yeah, we are first name okay. pages. So. <laughs> um, but he's like he's like you know, he was interviewing some guy and talking about like, yeah, man, like we just often dismiss placebo effect, but like that speaks a lot to the power of belief, you uh, know. What I mean? Yeah. Like, absolutely. I I can I can seriously well and you know me how like psychosomatic I am, but yeah, dude, I can just just as soon as I swallow a pill, I feel better. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. Like when you're dope sick, and as soon as the dope man calls, you are instantly better. Instantly better. What yeah. What is that about? Yeah, this dope dealer. He called himself Ralph. He's dead now. But <laughs> I would, I would, <laughs> uh, I would roll up on Ralph and be like, "Yo, man, every time I see you, you smiling, bro." I'm like. I'm like, yeah, when your car made the turn, dude, like, you should have seen how much I was cussing you out every minute leading up to that. Yes, dude, yeah, like, because you know hell is over with. Right, it's right. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, here comes the car. Here comes. Dude, that is so, that, that if you could, if you could bottle and sell that feeling, holy crap. But, so and that's literally, it's literally you are doing that to yourself. Why can't, yeah. is that what, I guess, like some like yogis or whatever, is that what they figured out how to harness? Yes. Shit. Okay. <laughs> because, because I mean, you know, drugs only turn on and off things that are endogenous like we created within us, you know. Yeah. So they don't, you don't, they don't add anything to our body makeup. That's tr- I, I always forget, and I forget that too. Is like people think that it's the drug doing that to you, yeah. but all it is doing is like pressing buttons in your it's body. It's just pressing buttons in your body, body mind. Yeah, it's like it's it's not, it's it, not doing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah. Let's. Uh. So all right, I got a an amazing amazing interview with Booka Nile, uh, the keyboardist for the metalcore band Make Them Suffer, and also a um, mental health worker. Um, she's worked in substance abuse, she's ran a mental health hostel, uh, and she just started a huh. vlog series about mental health. So I'm real stoked on this one. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, R. Kelly. Let's get
so I'm here with Booka Nile. How are you doing, Hi, Booka? How are you? I am I am super well. How are you? Uh I'm good. It was it was very uh we have a lot of Australian listeners actually, but this is the first Australian guest, so it was interesting doing the uh schedule a day in advance, but it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that time difference kills you. <laughs> yeah. So where are you at? Um so I, I live in Perth. Okay. So that's west Western Australia. It's it's the most isolated capital city in the world. Really? It's just like apparently in the, of, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so it's like way on way on the west coast, but all of our, the cities in Australia, like the capital cities, are on the east coast. And so in between, we've just got this huge stretch of desert, um, and it's just uninhabited by people. So. Um, yeah, that's why we're so isolated. We've got a bunch of country towns and smaller sort of towns around us in WA, but otherwise everyone else in Australia lives on the other side of the country. So so I'll, I'll get the stereotypical questions out of the way. So do you own a platypus? Yeah, seven. Excellent. Excellent. That's what I thought. <laughs> have no, you... I, I, have two, I have two cats though. Awesome. Yeah, we got three cats and two ferrets. Ooh. Oh my god, ferrets! Yeah, are those That's legal amazing. there? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to lay. I have to, I'd have to Google that. I think. <laughs> um, so give uh, give us a little background on people that may not know who you are. Okay, well, my name is Booker. Um, I obviously live in Australia. Um, I I'm a mental health worker, and I also play in a heavy metal band called Make Them Suffer. Um, and I have two cats. That's, <laughs> that's pretty much my story. What are your cats' names? Uh, so I've got Albus, who I named, and then Simba, who I did not name. I probably would have named Simba, you know, Ronald Weasley or something like that if, yep. if I had the choice. But it's, it's perfect for him now. Um, but I call them Albi Alabubu and Simbi Alabubu. Very nice. We have a cat named Luna, so. Oh, yeah. that's actually their sister's name. Ah, so, very good. Because the litter, litter got all sort of, they're brothers, and um, yeah, one of the other, their sister went to a friend of mine, and um, yeah, her name's Luna. She's a black cat. Is yours a black cat? No, Luna, she, it looks like a Luna. She's like a sable, like silver, kind of, she's very pretty, and she knows it. She's very much a... Uh, quite a bit yeah <laughs> oh oh well that's not good my boys are very loving so that's that's very nice <laughs> yeah so i i've been a big make them suffer fan for a while and so i was really stoked when i saw i can't remember how i saw it i think it was when you started doing your mental health vlogs and then i kind of yep. did a little background i was like oh wow you're you run a mental health hostel, you've um, done substance abuse counseling, and I was like, well, this is, you know, right in my wheelhouse. So, um, I know well, I, don't, with- I, don't, I don't run the psych hostel anymore, obviously, like, time commitments did not allow that, so I, I had to step down several positions, but I still, um, I still just, yeah, I, I work there quite regularly, so that's still awesome. Yeah, so with me, I... Um, kind of while we started this podcast too, I was, um, among other things, a heroin addict and did that for, you know, 15 years. And I've been going to treatment centers from when I was 15 till I was 26 and then finally sobered up. And now I'm a substance abuse counselor for adolescents. And 
so that's why I got into the field because it was basically what I had, you know, firsthand experience <laughs> with and all that. What kind of got you into that? Um, so for me, like I've always been, I think I've always really found people's stories really interesting. Um, and I've always been, I've always questioned like, why are we all so different? Um, you know, why, what, what, what experience makes one person react one way? What experience makes another person react completely differently? Um, why do we respond to things differently and, and why, yeah, why are we the way we are basically? And, um, so that, that's something I've always found interesting. And then in addition to that, like I, um, growing up, like I was, I was a rogue youth, like completely rogue. I was pretty happy, I think, but like, I was, I was a crazy person. Like when I was, uh, <laughs> when I was 16, I moved out of home. Um, and I was a party monster. So, you know, like I was abusing substances. I was drinking a lot. Um, I dropped out of high school in my final year, just after the school ball, because I wanted to go to that. Um, and I just, I just sort of like worked and then I didn't work for a long time. I lived, lived off packets of meagerang for like a year and my poor parents <laughs> were not stoked on any of this. Oh yeah. But, um, yep. yeah. So like I did that and then, um, one day something clicked in my head and I decided that I didn't want to be that person anymore. And that's when I started going to university and stuff. But I look back on those times and I'm like, what was going on there? That was, you know, it was, it was almost like I completely, I was like void of empathy. I couldn't like understand, um, other people's, you know, feelings or, you know, I just, I couldn't gauge that really. And it was like a a switch went off in my brain one day, that part of my brain developed or something. And I woke up and was like, Oh my God. And just stopped. Um, but in addition to that, you know, during, um, those years I had, I guess I wasn't completely void of, of, of empathy, um, in like completely void because I did like being someone that could be approached by other people. And I liked being able to be there for like, you know, my friends and, and, um, stuff like that. And I, I did have a lot of friends, you know, in, in the circle that I was mixing in, especially who, who had quite, um, you know, looking back on it now, they, they were very mentally ill, um, you know, I had a, a girlfriend who I was living with once and she, I remember she had a complete, I don't even know what it was. It wasn't a psychotic episode, but it was a full mental breakdown one night and I was home alone with her. I didn't know what to do. Um, I remember, you know, thinking because she, she was smashing up the house, it was like really full on. She was in such a state of distress and I had no idea what to do and I wanted to help, but I couldn't do anything about it. And I didn't know what, like who to turn to, whether I could, you know, I didn't think you could call an ambulance for mental health related stuff unless it was like, oh, they're going to, you know, it's a, it's a suicide related sort of thing. I, I didn't know that that was something that you could actually do when someone was exhibiting signs of like, you know, severe mental distress. Happened to I me up, twice. Two, uh, uh, two friends. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> but it taught it you know I think it taught me a lot because I realized that that's something that I wanted to know more about and I wanted to know mm. how I could have react acted differently in that situation to help her uh, and you know I was I was speaking to a lot of friends who you know had a, a lot of a lot of problems and you know I'm giving advice and I'm doing this that and the other but really I you know really didn't know what I was doing and whether the advice I was giving was any good so, um, yeah, I think there's just having a, an overall just 
and always having an interest in, in humanity and, um, you know, how we work and why we work the way we do, plus seeing um, people that I cared about sort of living um, living with mental illnesses and not really being able to help them was definitely um, a reason for wanting to get into the field. Plus, I guess in, in some way, like wanting to work out myself and like what, mm-hmm. um, you know, why I was the way I was as well. Because even once I stopped, um, you know, the party lifestyle and went to university and stuff, I still had a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't really understand about myself, which I do now as a result of, um, of working, I guess, with people in the mental health field and plus studying. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of why I got into the field, I think. Very cool. How, how did, so the, the whole idea of, well, hostels, really, that's not a thing that exists in the States, but, or I guess it is, no, but not, it's not called that. But so the whole idea of a mental health hostel was really intriguing to me. So how did that kind of come about? So basically when I was in my second year of university, um, actually, no, it was my first year of university. I decided that because I was working flipping burgers and stuff like that at this stage to support myself while I was at university. And I was like, you know, I, I would love to work. You know, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm an impatient person. And when I get my, you know, my head set on, on wanting to do something, like it's just tunnel vision until I've sort of done that thing. <clears throat> I'm not really able to do things in halves. So I was like, I'm ready to work in the field now. I want to get it. <laughs> I want to stop flipping burgers. So I started doing some volunteer work at an aged care center, um, just visiting this, this guy who he had dementia and stuff. And I just go and have oh, a cup of tea with tough. him once a week. He was the most gorgeous guy. Sometimes he would remember me, sometimes he wouldn't. But he had some amazing stories because like, his long-term memory was perfectly intact. It was just his short-term memory. He was like 95 years old. Wow. He'd lived a life, definitely. Um, so I went and visited him uh, quite a bit. And then after that, I got a job in doing disability support work, um, which was definitely, uh, that was real. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, yeah, that was really full on. So I did that for one year. How, how old and, are you? And like, what, what, what age are we at when you're doing this, these things? So I was, um, I was 20 one when I started doing the disability work and yeah, stuff. That's heavy. Yeah, I was definitely uh, either they 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 give you a little bit of you know how to do like a little bit of training, but they don't mentally like they they don't prepare you. Like I remember driving home from work once because I was an agency worker, so I was just sent to yeah. wherever um, you that's know if the, the company had a hardest shit. Yeah, man, it was it was full on. I remember working at an acquired brain injury sort of center, which was just it was where people went when they just gotten out of hospital before they were then rehomed into in, you know, in different support houses. And I remember just like meeting this sixteen year old boy who was completely paralyzed because of all this damage to his motor cortex. He was sixteen, and he'd fallen off the back of well, he'd fallen off um his uncle's bike because his uncle was driving wasted Ugh. um and, like his uncle i think died um in in that accident but he for the rest of his life like i had to help change his continence um diaper like he was getting fed through a tube in his stomach and that was his life for the rest of his life and it was just like i remember driving home bawling my eyes out and just going stop crying because you're driving a car now and like <laughs> so real this is such a possibility like this happens to people this, these are people's lives you know and it was just so full-on like trying to grasp the, um you know 
some of the lives that people have to live, you know. So um, after a year of doing that, I, I was not cut out for disability work. Like, um, you know, having – and I also didn't feel like – the thing with disability work a lot of the time is it's, it's maintenance. You sort of – people are um, – you know, in certain life positions and you're just maintaining that for them. Whereas I wanted to be doing something that was sort of actively working to help people to live better lives and to get better. So um, I started sort of looking for jobs that were in the mental health field and I, I came across this this position that was, uh, it was called a mental health support worker, very similar to the disability stuff, except it was working in this psychiatric hostel. Um, and... So I applied and I was successful. They didn't have the most strict recruitment process back then. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was, I was luckily able to get a job there. And then I have been there now for six years. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's been, it's been yeah, awesome. It's, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's because those jobs are so it's, – it's, especially in certain ways, it's largely thankless – it's incredibly hard on your soul. <laughs> like it, it's really, yeah. It's it, it. The I don't know how it is over there, but the pay is terrible. Like it, that's what I love when I get clients like you're just doing this for the money. I'm like, I assure oh, like, you, my friend, I am not. Um, it's like yeah, it's not the most lucrative career. Like it's no. not too bad, but it's also like it's also you know for the work that gets done there. <clears throat> you know, probably should be paying a lot more because it's like you're literally people's lives. You know, I, I, I give medications every time I'm, I'm at work, like schedule eight meds. Um, you know, I could kill someone if I give the wrong medications. <laughs> like there's y'all, a lot of responsibility. Whoa, back up. Y'all have eight schedules in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like three. Um, oh, really? Well, I mean, that's probably yeah, but... wrong, but, <laughs> um, yeah. So how do you, how did you in the early days? So the other big thing in this field is burnout and like, so I substance use, uh, substance abuse, especially, but I imagine disability and stuff too, that there's a ton of tragedies too. There's a ton of failures. So like, Mm -hmm. how did you avoid the early, the early burnout? (laughs) Well, look, there was a lot of frustration and I, I was working a lot when I first got the job because I just, even though I was studying, I wanted to please my employers. Like I was so grateful for the job and to be working at this place that I was just like, any shifts you want me to do, I'll do them. And so I was working like five to six days a week plus studying full time. And that was like an absolute headache until I sort of, we had, we had a mean boss when I started, uh, but then over time, uh, then he, he left and we got a really nice boss and then I was able to sort of cut down a bit. But it was difficult, um, I think, dealing with, like, hearing people's stories as well. Some of the stories I have heard over the years, it's like you could not make that shit up. It is yeah. so, like, I'm just like, who has lived that? That is yeah. just insane that anybody has been through that and is still able to get up and get out of bed every day and like make the most out of each day like you're a hero basically um so that that mentality I think helped like you know realizing that um realizing that these guys had been through absolute hell um a lot of them and and that they were still making the most of it every day and, and, and actively trying, a lot of them act, actively trying to re- recover and get better. That sort of, I think, 
well, it's not every every resident, not every resident that I work with sort of has that goal to get better. Some of them are just like, stuff it, you know. I'm just going to like, oh, yeah. every day and whatever. Um, Three hearts in a cart. I'm just doing my time. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It's like, you know, this place is good. I get fed and like, yep. you know, um, I got a roof over my head. So there's that sort of mentality. But then you've got people who, I guess, like slowly seeing these little wins and then being able to look back and go, wow, you started there and now you're here. This is really cool that made it really worth it plus like I I got a I get along with like a lot of the residents really really well um and just genuinely like hanging out with them so that helped yeah. but burnout was real definitely and you know we've got employee assistance programs here so we get free psych sessions um through my work so if, if things start to get a bit much you can um, you can go and have one of these sessions. They offer over the phone stuff as well if you can't make it in. Um, and yeah, I also one year like I started working for another company as well, doing um, sort of management of teams who were doing community support. So people who were going into others, like people living with mental illnesses, who were living in their own homes but needed help to like maintain. And to sort of, um, you know, achieve their goals and stuff. So we would go into their homes and assist them. So I worked there for a year whilst working at the psych hostel as well. I was doing six-day weeks for a while there as well. Um, so I, was, I did that. And that, I think, also helped to break things up a bit. It allowed a different sort of um, scenery. And so I wasn't getting, I guess, weirdly by doing more work, was getting less burnout because there was more diversity um, That's a good the one point. thing is like emotional fatigue, I think, is when you, you've, you've heard so many tragic yes. stories. And it's not that you no longer care. Like it's, that is definitely not the case. It's just that you, nothing shocks you anymore. Yeah. And, it's compassion fatigue for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's mm. a total thing. And that was one thing that I think I struggled with a little bit in the early years was, keeping like you know if, if we were like getting uh having behavioral sort of issues from from a resident um you know having to remind myself like don't get you know st- don't get pissed off and don't yes. take any of this personally yes. because you know remember what this person has been through can you even imagine going through what this person has been through um so having to remind myself of that is um has also helped, I think. But I definitely had to take, you know, I've, I've taken mental health days. I've, um, I try to like, you know, keep my own mental health in pretty good check because I realize that I'm absolutely no good to anyone if I'm not doing well myself. So, right. <coughs> and you yeah. definitely, you're the, uh, you do have a, a, a well known sense of humor. And it definitely, like, cause I've, I don't know about you, but I've been called every name under the book and you have to have oh, a yeah. thick, thick, thick skin. To, oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing bothers me anymore. Like, come at me. I just, it's actually yeah. been great. This prepared me for, it definitely prepared me for, um, you know, some of the, you know, the nasty YouTube comments you get uh, sure. from, you know, music videos and stuff like that. Some of the, the hate. It's like, it just, like, honestly, it's like, it just doesn't penetrate at all. It just, I just right. don't care. I actually, I kind of like like the negative comments. I think they're really kind of they're a bit amusing to me now. You, you can see what's under it every, almost every time. Yeah, like, like, I I know exactly what you're about. All of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Like you, you've got some issues with aggression, don't you? Yeah. My God, yeah. <laughs> do some deep breathing. So, so yeah, tell like me about that, your father. 
Yeah, exactly. How old were you when mum left? Like, yeah. that's sort of <laughs> my, like, that's just how my head works now. So that's really great, though, because I, I can imagine that, um, you know, all that public um, love and also hate could really, really mess someone up if you're not sort of in that headspace. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, that, that's a good, so, I mean, that's kind of a good segue. So, how do you go from that to, joining a uh, <laughs> world-famous um, metal band. Uh, yeah, that was super random. So I was, like, absolutely loving my job at this when I when this all came about. I've been friends with the guys in Make Them Suffer for, like, seven or eight years now. And I was hanging out with Nick, the guitarist, one night, and um, – he told me that Louisa was was leaving the band, that she wasn't going to be doing any more tours with the band, and that she was she was out basically. And I was like, oh no, what are you going to do? He's like, oh, I don't know. Like we're talking to, you know, we've got a few ideas of who might replace her and stuff, but obviously they've got to be able to sing and play keys and things like that. And I was like, oh well, I play piano. And he's like, oh, you should join the band. And it, this is just like a funny thing to us because I'd, I'd never played a show in my life. I'd never played in front of more than my cats or like a friend in my lounge room type thing. Um, also couldn't sing at all. So it was like, ha, huh, that's funny. But then the next day or something, like he was like, but maybe. <laughs> um, it's like, would it actually be something that you would be interested in? And I'm like... Oh, I don't know, travel the world and play music sounds pretty awful. Um, yeah. I was like, yeah, like that's just only only my childhood dream. Um, was your was your that. only was your uh, I can just imagine your only stipulation like, okay, but can we change make them suffer to listen to their problems and heal people, please? You know? <laughs> exactly. Make them happier. Make them make happy. Them, you guys make can them we just feel do that? better? Yeah. yeah, like because I've got this whole like joke. I've got all these uh, Russian hats at home and um i was like how about we call make them russia you know, <laughs> it's like and we all just sing with a russian accent about like about starlet or something they were like yeah no that we'll put that in the ideas bank and um well yeah so i've been i i've been going to make them suffer shows for years and like um loved watching them play and just never ever thought i'd ever play with them it's actually hilarious now um and it's really funny because the day that I met Nick, I met Nick through doing some temp work for a friend and uh, he didn't come in on the first day, but there was this other guy that I was working with um, who was a Make Them Suffer fan and we were talking about what we did and I had mentioned that I play keys and he's like, oh, do you? You should play for Make Them Suffer. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. And then like <laughs> six years later, I actually took that advice. Um, so eventually what happened was is they sort of they toured with this other girl. It, it didn't work out. They decided not to, to, to take her on board. And I, uh, Nick contacted me and was like, send me, um, send me your vocals singing along to Ether. And so he sent me like the uh, Ether track without any vocals. And he's like, I've sent you the harmonies as well. So like record the harmonies in this track and record the not, like vocal line. I just need to make sure you're not like, you don't sound like a screeching cat basically we can like you can work on your vocals and get better over time so I was like okay and I struggled so hard but I I managed to like do this semi-okay recording and I sent it back to him he's like okay 
yeah, okay. Well, look, we can teach you how to be in a band. We can't teach, like, but, you know, we know we get along with you. And because you're, like, touring with someone is so, like, you are living in each other's back pockets, basically. You're just around each other all the time. And he's like, you know, we can't, um, you know, finding someone who we know we're going to get along with um, and be okay with on the road is probably more important than you having the technical understanding and knowledge of how to play in a band. So you work your ass off and like we'd like for you to join us and I was like okay well now I've got a big life decision to make and so yeah I called called my friend um Alex Payoff who is uh he's a wise man he's like a music uh entrepreneur businessman he runs this really great company in Perth that does like events and um like they used to have a record label and all this stuff and he's doing amazingly well and I was like okay, I'm going to call him. He'll know what to do. But he didn't tell me what to do. He just asked me all the right questions, which led me to the conclusion that if I didn't give it a shot, that I was going to regret it forever. So I... Like a good therapist, yeah. just yep, get you to exactly. figure it out yourself. Exactly. So um, he, we had that conversation and I handed my notice in at work, but I offered them, I was like, you know, but I've got all, like, I know how to work, like, every position in this hostel, um, you know, if you want to keep me on, um, just, I can fill in gaps when I'm in Perth, or, like, just help out wherever I can, and they were like, yeah, you know, that sounds like a pretty good idea, um, so that's sort of how it happened there, um, they were so shocked, though, I was like, hi, so, um, I know that this job is great and I'm loving it and stuff, but I'm going to leave and join a metal band. They were like, excuse me? Sorry, that's the resignation. That's such a pivot. Mm -hmm. Telling my family over Christmas dinner also, I think my mum cried. She was like, no, "No, you were finally good. You were finally good and now you're joining a metal band. Why? (laughs) Might as well name the band Make Your Mother Suffer. Yeah, it's them. That's just me and your father. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, that was, um, yeah that initially my mom was like oh no but then she realized that I was actually serious about it but I wasn't joining the band so that I could you know just have an excuse to party heaps again it was like she saw that I was getting singing lessons and like heard me practicing like for hours we got this beautiful um, piano at my parents house and like you know I was just I was playing this piano like a lot and she, yeah, she saw how much effort I was putting in and she was like, oh, okay, you're legitimately like serious about doing this music thing. Okay. And I was like, yeah, you, mom, you just don't turn down opportunities like this. We regret inaction far more than we regret action. I'm like the worst case scenario of me joining the band and quitting my job is that I don't really vibe with it and I have to get another job. Um, right. Or like, you know, like that was my worst case scenario. Um, there's so many great mental health positions out there. Whereas, like, I probably wasn't going to get another offer like no. this ever again in my life. So no. I was extremely happy. And that's, yeah, that's how the transition happened, really. Did, did you become, like, the, are you now the de facto, like, band therapist? <laughs> um, not, I mean, <clears throat> yes and no. Like, I guess, um, like, the guys, and like, we all get along really, really well, Um and so we don't necessarily, like, there's never any sort of too many problems on the road that we have to sort through. But if, if certain things happen, you know, especially during tour, like relationship problems back at home or whatever, um, I think that also the fact that I'm a female, I think, 
helps because of you know a lot of guys feel uh, weird about talking to other guys about their feelings. So yeah. Yeah, there have been times where I've sort of stepped in and like you know been that that support person and stuff like that. But um, yeah, like I guess in general, like the guys are they're, they're doing pretty well. But yeah, if problems do arise, then. Um, that definitely we, we end up sort of having long chats about it and stuff. But, yeah, I'm definitely – people ask a lot, like, are you the mum of the band? I'm like, no, that's Jaya. <laughs> I, I'm dad, I'm not sure. But, like, Jaya so, is definitely the mum. And I, I know you've talked about it a ton, so we can just briefly land on it. But how was it – did you kind of expect – I don't know, resistance or I don't know. What did you expect being a female in this world of, if it's Male. a boys club? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the death. metal scene. Like I'm legitimately, I've had one, I've done one, oh no, two tours now where there's been one other female um, in one of the bands on those tours. And that was with Cursed Earth and Paris who were both fronted by women which was awesome, but I've done a lot of tours, so, like, that's the, it's not very high. Usually it's me and, like, 30 dudes. Yeah. Um, so I didn't I've, – I've always been friends with, like, a lot of women and a lot of men, and I don't – like, I've got – my relationships with the guys in my life are just as close as the relationships I have with the women in my life, so I wasn't worried about that. Um, what I was worried about was, you know, Louisa was so loved by – um, you know, MTS fans, I was concerned that they were just going to like completely reject my entry into the band and be like, cause I'm really different to Louisa as well. Like I, sure. I love Louisa. She's, she's awesome, but she's like, you know, I'm just like this loud freaking, uh, you know, very extroverted person. And she was a lot, um, I guess she was quieter and she wasn't as like theatrical, I guess. Yeah. Um, I say this like she's dead. I'm like she 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 was a girl who <laughs> like <laughs> did, she, did y'all um, keep in touch. I was wondering that too. Like, was there any? Because it seemed like you know y'all the band took a you know y'all are kind of on your y'all are continuing on the rise. So it's like the next mm. level of of fame or popularity. Like, do y'all talk? Which is there any like any bad blood or anything like that? Like like with like Louisa and stuff. Yeah. Or like I mean, I, no, like. So I, I, don't, I haven't seen Louisa in a while, actually, but she, um, I do speak to her, like, from time to time, and she's, like, got a whole, like, new life going on. She's, um, she's teaching. She's madly in love. She was just in India. Um, oh, good. But, yeah, like, she's, she's, she's killing it, um, and she's doing what she wants to do. So, yeah, she's just, like, really busy, and I'm really busy, but, like, whenever I see her, like, oh, my God, it's great, because I'm, like, so how annoying is it when this happens on tour and oh my God, now, you know, so like it's great having her there to talk to. And she also like guided me through the whole process. When I entered the band, she taught me all of the old songs. She um, gave me tips and advice. She showed me how to use certain uh, audio programs, all of this stuff. So like she was, I don't know how I would have done it without her, to be honest. Like she had, you know, a lot of the songs are really complex and yeah. without her teaching me how to play them, I don't know if I, that I would have been able to sort of like learn them by ear. So Very cool. So I, there's also with touring and the music scene, there's been different times um, where it's been, you know, heavily associated with 
you know, addiction, alcoholism, um, people, band members having panic attacks and uh, mm-hmm. depression. There's been, there, well, recently there's been the, um, who Kyle from We Came as Romans, there's been a bunch of overdose deaths. Um, have you seen any of that on, on tour? Have you met any other bands that you... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like I've definitely met, I mean, I've met, Band, uh, people in bands who are like the healthiest person you've ever met in your life. They run every day. They're like, you know, doing like full health, healthy diet. They've been on the road for years and they know what they need to do when they're away um, and at home to like keep their, themselves in check and to, to feel good because <clears throat> touring takes it out of your body like massively. And But then I've also met people on the other side of that who, um, you know, people who have struggled struggle with addiction, um, people, like there's a lot of alcoholism, um, people not really knowing, you know, like band members hiding uh, like liquor riders from certain members. Like we, we I remember us, us being given like a bottle of Jamison and, and being like, just can you guys not not tell him that, that we're giving you this because we just need him to like pull his head in right now because yeah. – because um, a lot of the time, especially with alcoholism, it would then lead to like these, you know, like to depression. So like, because it is a depressant, and it, it it's like you know when he's when he's drinking, he's he's so depressed and he's angry and he's so hard to work with. But when he's trying to be healthy and, and stuff, he's like a different person. So that was like an issue that I've seen a little bit. A lot of the people like there's definitely like there's drug use on the road. Absolutely, there's. You know, there's alcohol on the riders, like spirits on on the riders every night. So, and you know, we do have like some party nights when we when we go on tour. Some tours more than others, but in general, it's like you party, and the whole like touring life is is a lot more like uh, tame in a lot of ways than some on the night, of course. But like, you know, example this last tour that I went on. First three weeks or something, I was doing keto and like trying to work out every day, and um, I was just like being an angel. And then for the rest of the tour, I well, I woke up with my shoes on a few times. Let's just put it that way. Um, <laughs> I had I started having a lot of fun, but it still was like it, it, I still wasn't my, my like the point that I was going to be um, like harming myself or like. You know what I mean? So I'm not a big yeah. drinker in general, and um, I don't know what happened on this tour. I just decided to like let go and get a bit crazy, and um, yeah, like I, I had a really good time. But I also, in my head, I was like, "This is just for now." And when you get back home, things go back to normal, and they did. So um, I'm able to do that. Some people aren't able to do that. So it really depends. I think knowing knowing yourself is really important, and, and knowing what your um, you know what you're lots sort of likely to do in that, in that situation long term is important. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of, um, I think depression and anxiety and stuff on the road as well that you see. And I guess a lot of the, any substance, like proper substance abuse is a lot of the time self-medicating for that. Um, you know, people having to do shots before they go on stage or, um, you know, whatever it is, everyone's got their, their little, their vices, I guess. And it's hard because a lot of people miss their, you know, families back at home and their friends. And every time you go on tour, your life sort of up is like 
it's all just like derailed for a period of time and you're just thrown into this other world and then you have to go back and try to like maintain those relationships and um, reintegrate yourself back into your life back at home. So it can be quite like, feel, like mentally it's like pretty turbulent. Yeah, I would imagine, too, going from the super high of, you know, massive crowds, you know, you're being elevated to this, you know, godlike position, and then back at home feeding the cats and changing the litter box <laughs> and, and, like, going to the grocery store and all that. And there, there's got to be... Yeah. That's a crazy dichotomy that's got to be... Absolutely. And we, we actually have, like, a, we call it, like, the post-tour, post-tour depression, mm-hmm. where for the first couple of weeks of getting back from a tour and adjusting to like normal life again is like, you get a little bit sad. Like some people it's, it affects more than others, but definitely, Oh my God, I, I cried on the last day of my first ever tour because I had just had, I had had, had had the best month of my entire life. No exaggeration. I was like, I had moments on that tour where I was just like, Oh my God, this is my life. And this is so incredible. I, I actually feel like, pure contentment right now and like a feeling that I hadn't had before and I was like you know then realizing that I was going back to not that my life sucked at home by any stretch but it was like oh my god like my my world you live in a bubble I don't want to lose it yeah and like obviously like we go back and now it's easier because I know that like we'll end up going back again and also um you know, there is like a lot of stuff that I appreciate about home now as well. And there is, there is a niceness to, um, you know, not having the pressure of like needing to perform or like, you know, you can just relax a bit. You can sleep in a, in your, your own bed and like cuddle your cats and see your good sure. friends and stuff. So what, there is so that. thinking in the future, what do you, which do you see you doing long term? I guess that's a weird question, but like, are you still kind of splitting your aspirations between like mental health, all that counseling therapy and the band or just kind of taking it as it comes? And cause I mean, um, real, real, yeah. you have a real good, yeah. I mean like you can really, you can always do counseling is a good thing. It's one of those things you can do when you're 87 years old. So yeah, that, that's totally. kind of why I went into it. Um, but yeah, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Um, I, I would love, I, I don't want to lose either of these elements in my life. I have done mental health. Like that's what I devoted my life to before the band. And as much like I love being in the band, I love music and I, I really found, refound this passion for writing and playing music that I, yeah, I've always played music, but I never had like passion like this. So, um, I don't think I can, I'm going to lose that. Um, and I want to, this is why I'm sort of, I've started, band together which is like the mental health blogs that I've started doing um because I've I want to integrate my worlds I want to like fuse them and like because music is so is cathartic and playing music for me I almost enter a state of like like mindfulness like meditation when I'm doing it the rest of the world ceases to exist when I'm when I'm like in a like writing hole and um I can like emerge from this whole like seven hours later and be like, what do you mean? Like, it's, what do you mean it's 5am? Like, so, you know, it's, it's amazing. Cause like the rest, like I, I don't think about any issues or any problems and, you know, I'm just focused on that, which is so great for me. And I think that, you know, I, cause I introduced a music therapy program at my work just before I left actually, um, maybe a couple of 
maybe yeah, four or five months before I left, I started a music therapy program at, at work and um, like this was just the best. Like we did it every like Wednesday and I, I would participate in it even like I was like so busy managing the place but like I would stop what I was doing and I would, I'm like I need this today too. So I would yep. go and I would participate and that has continued on. Um, through all these years now that I've been in the band and I think that like that that's like a, a huge achievement we had one guy um, who very 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 unwell man who said that when he because he ended up performing at this mental health festival uh, he's got a beautiful voice and he was like when I got up there and like sung it felt like the, it was a, felt like the first time in my life that I didn't have a mental illness so like wow. it's got this hugely profound and like this other woman who she was just like she goes this is just the best thing in the world like it, it, doing this is just the best thing in the world so if, if you've got uh residents there who, who do love music like it has this huge impact and you can really see the impact that playing music and being able to sit there and do that with other people i mean when everyone's playing like music together you have staff, you could have the, the woman that we brought in who would like facilitate the sessions and have the residents there. And But everyone's like contributing and we're all just on this equal plane, like equal level, all contributing our parts to this music. And it's just like, I don't know, I'm looking around the room, I'm like, you can't tell who is a resident, you can't tell who is a staff member. We're just a bunch of people jamming together. And it's it's got that really nice um, feel to it. And I, it really does help. So I really enjoyed like integrating music into my work because I also um, I bring my recording equipment into work a lot of the time, and I've oh, cool. sort of I've like recorded enough songs for an album actually with um, different residents. And, oh, that's a really cool idea. Yeah, it's honestly been so cool. We got some originals, um, and then we've got some covers depending on what the like what the person wants to do. And they love it. When they hear themselves back, they're like, is that me? I'm like, yeah, that's you. Like, I've added some reverb and some compression. And, like, they sound awesome. And they, they're, they like, stoked over it because, like, they've never – I don't know. I remember the first time I ever recorded in a studio and I was like, this is so cool. And it's yeah. the same sort of thing for them. And then <clears throat> I give them a copy of, like, their song and stuff and they can listen to it. And it's I think it's really good for your self-esteem and just, like, knowing that you can do that. You can be a recording artist. Why not? Um so that, that's been really great as well. Yeah. Um, no, cr- creation in general. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing with, uh, and specifically with with addicts. I've noticed is that it, it's like we're almost more like spiritually, creatively charged people. And if you don't find an outlet mm-hmm. for that, you're, it's going to come out somewhere. And it's like you better find something good to absolutely it in. Absolutely, I think that like. I mean, the fulfillment that I get from my life from from being, you know, doing music now is, like, I thought that I was, like, completely content and happy with, like, my life before MTS, but now it's, like, it's on a different level because I've got this outlet and, like, if I'm going through something, I can write a song about it. I can create something out of pain. I can create something out of my happy experiences. And these songs, you know, I've got them forever. So it's it's really, really great being able to do that, and that's what, I wanted to do with the residents at work as well. Um, so I've tried to fuse music and mental health there. And then now I'm also trying to bring mental health into my music world, which is why I'm doing these vlogs. Um, 
you know, I, I want to create essentially like a community where like we can, people can go and talk about what's going on for them really openly. And I, I want to kill stigma because stigma is the actual worst guy ever. Um, I'm so over it. I'm so sick of like stigma and I want to create, I want to reduce stigma and I want people to stop feeling like shame for going through something because it's just no reason to be ashamed. Um, and anyone who says otherwise is an idiot. What's the, what's the kind of the state of that in Australia? Like what is the stigmas? Like I've heard that from the few in my very limited conversations, like I've heard, um, like party drugs and meth are kind of bad over there. Yeah, meth is a huge problem um, in Australia. So we've got we've had a lot of like crazy meth related crimes and stuff like that. And it's definitely in most social circles, it's seen as like a dirty drug. You don't touch meth. Um, and yeah, so and then what was the other one? Party yeah, drugs. Yeah, and so what about in it, what stigmas for mental health is it? Um, are is it a very like proud culture? Do people? not want to get help is it not talked about is it like something to be ashamed of yeah I think so and I lived in a bubble where I didn't actually realize that this mental health stigma was really prevalent because I lived in this bubble where I worked with mental health workers um I have a really like progressive cool group of friends everyone's really like open and like just you know they're they're smart they understand that there's, there's no shame to it and um yeah but then just in being in the band and also just meeting, I guess, more people, I've realized that, yeah, I lived in a little bubble of, of lovely ignorance because there is, this, there is like some serious stigma. Like I remember telling somebody that I worked with people who hear voices and she shivered, literally shivered and was like, oh, that's so creepy. And I'm like, you're creepy. Yeah, See ya. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Which so, is you know, like, ass. I couldn't believe that response. I was like, that's gross. And then I started to notice things as well because some of the guys that I work with um, have got visible mental illnesses because most people, it's, it's an invisible illness. But sure. some of the guys I work with, like, um, you know, they'll dress so extravagantly or, like, you know, just really out there or, you know, like um, got one lady who she carries around um, – baby like dolls that are babies sometimes you'll have like six with her um so you've got people who like who stand out a bit when you go out and about and there's been times where I've like gone to the shops with one of them and literally like the cashier will address me and ignore you know the person that I'm with and it's like actually no they're the customer here I'm just hanging out um like make some freaking eye contact with them so yeah like people it's get, especially things like schizophrenia, people like think that you know if you've got schizophrenia, you're gonna like go on a killing rampage or something. Right, and, which we kind of have yeah. movies to thank for that, mm -hmm. really. Oh, and every headline, every time it is somebody who lives with schizophrenia who commits a crime, they're like, oh, by the way, psychosis, and that's yeah. why they killed everyone. It's like, well, but what about all of those murders where they? don't have psychosis and they're right. just really mean and like killing people because that's a right, thing. Right, right, right. You know, um, totally. so, yeah. and then, and then with depression and stuff, like I got hit up by someone that I don't know that well, um, asking me a few questions about mental health and said, like, I'm just feeling like really sad. And every time I drink, I end up like really like in this really dark place and blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and I was like, okay, well, like, we talked about it, and I ended up sort of, like, the finish of the conversation just being like, you know, it's, it's really normal, like, by the way. And they're like, oh, really? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, and you're feeling like, yeah. they were like, they were like, they felt guilty because they're like, well, but my life is fine. I don't have any That's that I can right see. There. And so this guilt and like a shame about feeling yes. this. And I'm like, there's no, like, I'm like, you can't help it if you've got like, you know, if you twist, you have some issues with your back, you, you can't help that. Like that's yeah, like, just everybody's biggest problem is their biggest problem like it's it's like it's not a it's not a contest it's totally subjective and you know that's why you've got people who you know perhaps have like had the most horrific lives and they're like super stoked and then you've got people who you're like oh well you've had it relatively great but they're really sad it's like it just it doesn't matter and you're not you know you're not like being petty or you know whiny or any of those things that people worry about being um if if you're someone who perhaps doesn't have like a concrete reason to be sad or like a reason that they can explain but they feel it it's like that doesn't matter it's like you feel what you feel and you're not choosing to feel this way you don't enjoy like i mean some people do enjoy sadness like but obviously not all the time you don't enjoy not being able to get out of bed in the morning you don't enjoy crying alone like no one's like, oh yeah, I want, I want that to be my life. So why are you blaming yourself and feeling so lame about it? It's, it's okay. Your feelings are valid, and you you got to actually acknowledge that you feel it and acknowledge that it's there and and go from there. And just yeah, the shame thing is huge because and people are scared, I think as well, like to disclose having mental illness uh, or like feeling like they're not doing so well, especially in the workplace. Yep. As well, because like they can be treated differently afterwards, or um, you know, all dirt careful, don't like let them in on, or whatever it is. When really, like, a choice and go, is that too much for me or not? I I can make that decision here. Like, I'm the one who knows what's going on for me, not not you know other people. Um, right. This is a lot. I think a real lack of understanding, and you know, people like the honestly the get over it or just you know just you know you've got it pretty good some people have it way worse than you that just doesn't help (laughs) and having that attitude just doesn't help and gets us nowhere like it's like saying well maybe you should just fix your broken leg super easy just grow the bone better hey like that's why do you need glasses just see you son of a bitch hello obviously just see like that's advice not that hard like yeah, physical physical ailments. We are all about accepting, and like you know, we will give days off or at work, and we'll you know like we'll we'll help. Um, but as soon as it becomes a mental illness, actually, interesting story. I was trying to organise tickets to a concert for um, one of the residents at work, and because I've got a lot of friends in the music industry, and this person was like, like. They're living on pensions, um, disability pensions, a lot of the guys, and they couldn't afford to buy these tickets. So I hit up a friend in the uh, in like the ticketing industry, and I was like, you know, is it possible to get um, a plus one to this concert so that like a support person can go with them in case they feel anxious or whatever? They were like, yeah, this should be totally fine. They hit up um, the organizer of this concert, 
they were like, yeah, of course, of course, man, you know, sort you out. As soon as they mentioned that this woman lived with a mental illness and was going to be going there with a support person, they were like, oh, I don't know if I feel comfortable with this. And they didn't um, end up coming through with the tickets. I, at this stage, because wow. my stage because I'd already been given the green light though, I'd already told this person that they had the ticket. I ended up buying the tickets for the person because I could not tell them that, yeah. oh, I'm changed now. Um, but you know, that attitude is so crap because they went along. I had a great time and you know, there are like smashed people all over the place, like so drunk being belligerent and like loud and like, you know, right. unruly. And they were just there like enjoying the concert, right. having a great time, having a little dance. So it's like, wow. Yeah. What a disaster that would have been if you'd gone and actually like helped out there. So absolutely just an example of the stigma that exists, I guess, in, in society here. Absolutely. I imagine is it, is it the same in the states? It is. It's di- well. It's 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 funny. It flip flops with alcoholism and and drug addiction. So that's kind of because there's so many celebrities that are championing it now. It's it's you know yeah. like it's Demi right. Lovato overdoses on heroin and and all of a sudden it's it's a national you know. But I had a friend died two months ago. You know what I mean? It's it's very yeah. like. It's people will still post videos of people high passed out and laugh at them, but then a celebrity yeah, will yeah. overdose and they'll be like, Oh my God, prayers for Demi. And it's like, well, you know, yeah. pick either you support yeah. it or you don't. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's, it's not a funny thing. Um, when people are suffering, like it's just not right. funny. And if you think it's funny, sort it out because that's not yeah. a good attitude. Like that's kind of, like, oh, lol, that person's in pain. Ha ha. Yeah. Who are yeah. you, Satan? Like, I come know. on. Exactly. It's That's like, exactly what it is. Weird, guys. Think about it. Actually, think about it. It's not very, it's not a good thing if it's you're like not. that. I, so, I, think it's, I think it's getting better. I would say it's getting better. Um, and I do have some, especially working with, with uh, kids and everyone likes to shit on the younger generation. But what I have noticed is that they are a lot more tolerant with people with disabilities and mental illness, stuff like that. They're a lot more like there are certain things you don't make fun of. Like they were. You know, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, this is a thing. Cause like Australia is really, um, is quite like empathic when it comes to, uh, people living with a disability, like a physical disability or like a cognitive disability. Um, you know, if someone's in a wheelchair, everyone's like, you know, makes a real effort to make life easier for them and to help them out. But as soon as like a mental illness gets brought up, it's like, oh, are they going to stab me? Or like, yeah, you know it's what so I mean? misunderstood. Like, it really is. And I, I really want that, that attitude to change um, because it's just dumb. Well, I think it, 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 it muddies the waters, too, because there's certain, quote, mental illnesses that become in vogue. Like, people will just mm. be like, oh, my OCD is acting up. I have to yes. have a clean room. It's like, no, I'm no. I'm feeling so bipolar today. Like, It's like, no, yeah. no, no. OCD is incredibly debilitating. And, like, like it's not – I think that really doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it's, it's trivializing it. It's making it seem, yes. seem like less of a uh, – has less of an impact on someone's life than someone, you know, than it actually does. It's like, no, um, actually this is where that really affects people's lives and that they, you know, like if they're living with it, they're 
a bloody, you know, champion for being able to just, you know, ha- hold down a job because, like, yes. that's hard enough on its own. Throw in this, it's like, it's not easy. And and I think that, yeah, trivializing it and being like, yeah, lol, my house has to be so clean. Um, yeah. Like, like, yeah, cool. You like I, neat. That's all <laughs> that is. I, so, I, yeah. I, I will admit I get it too because even like we're going back to talking about like fatigue there there's sometimes the temptation of me is just like oh my god just like just get better just like what are you being sad about and I forget too or it's like god, absolutely you, really, you, know, you can't help it absolutely it's, because you sometimes you just want to slap someone and be yes. like stop it stop yes. hating on yourself like right you know I, I like last night actually like I I worked and you know I had I had someone who was, um, you know, they became really distressed and started self-harming and stuff like that and basically just said, like, you know, I hate myself. I, you don't understand what it's like to hate yourself this much. And, you know, I wanted to, like, slap them and be like, you're awesome. Yes. And so stop being so freaking nasty to yourself. Treat yourself kindly because you treat everyone else so kindly. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to slap them, but that was purely out of like, you know, not enjoying like you know, anybody who hated this person I would have wanted to slap, including right. them. So right. like that's where that was coming from as opposed to like oh for Christ's sake, like just get yeah. you know, stop it. It's like no, like the feeling I guess like it's really good for me because I come and go a lot now. Um I don't experience the burnout or the compassion fatigue at all like that I used is good. because yeah. I, I come in fresh and like ready and wanting to like, you know, to help out wherever I can. And, and so when that something like that happens, like I'm, I'm ready and I'm, I'm not like kind of frustrated. I just like want to help out and, and help them feel better in the moment. So that's, that's like, I think a good thing for like, um, the support that I, that I give, um, is, is having that those breaks away where I can just come back and I'm reset and I'm ready to go. Absolutely. So tell everyone where they can find like your vlogs and everything. And... Totally. Well, um, so my vlogs are called, um, I've called them band together cause essentially it's like, I want to create like a community where we all like, you know, we band together, we kill stigma, we, and we, we share our stories and we help each other. Um, that's like the, and the long term sort of goal is to, yeah, create, um, to provide education for people, um, to normalize mental illness and to encourage like discussion and for other people to share their recovery stories and like things that work for them. So uh, I've got them up on YouTube. So if you just go under uh, Book a Nile, that's my YouTube channel name. And we've got, I've got my two so far mental health vlogs up there. I'll be releasing another one soon, just the second half of the social anxiety. Um, episode that I posted a few days ago, or yesterday, I think it was. And then I also have created a Facebook page where I just post, it's not exclusively um, mental health related stuff. I'm also, I'm also posting just like my silly stuff too, the stuff that makes me laugh. And uh, yeah, so I've got some like parody videos and stuff like that. So don't be shocked when you see yeah. me trying to do a SoundCloud rap because I just... Trying to join a gang, yes. <laughs> trying to join a gang. Um, still haven't joined a gang, by the way, if anyone knows of any great gangs recruiting. Um, it's 
so yeah, like, you know, the things like those are the, like laughing is so important, I think. And yes. I think that like, I was worried at first that I was going to be like, uh, creating two conflicting worlds, but it's like, no, we can have a laugh about things that are funny. You have to. And we, absolutely. And we should joke and you can be serious and like be a serious person, but you can also know when to like take that sort of, uh, you know, to, to just like lay, lay yourself out there and, and just be a bit of a larrikin as well. Like I think having balance is so important. If I was just like mental health is serious and we should need to be, I would be miserable because I would be so stressed. So, um, yeah, so there's my Facebook page is just um, my name as well. So that's where you can find, um, my videos. Um, yeah. And, And then the, uh, what's the band website? Uh, the band website, like for my blogs or for... Oh, no, sorry, for like Make Them Suffer. We for Make Give Them, them suffer. a little plug as well. Oh, well, we've got, uh, we've got our Facebook page, which is just Make Them Suffer. And then we've got an Instagram page, which is also Make Them Suffer. Um, we don't have our own YouTube channel, but we, all of our video clips and stuff like that are generally posted through Rise Records YouTube channel. Um, and then... I also have created just a bunch of like behind the scenes stuff that I've put together, um, which is on my YouTube channel too. Cool. And y'all are uh, go- going on tour soon as well. We are, yes. Yeah. So we just got back from the states, and then we got this tour offer, and it looks like we're going back again a few months later. So we're out with Born of Osiris and Chelsea Grin in February and March, uh, traveling around the states. It's going to be cold, <laughs> but I'm really yes. excited. Yes. Well, awesome. Well, Buka, Buka. <laughs> book a totally book a trip it is such um, a name i do not blame you <laughs> thank you so much for for taking the time this has been really cool thank you so much for having me this has been wicked and uh yeah really really love your work i think what you're doing is awesome thank you favorite interviews so far nice yeah it was real good dude real good go back and listen to it i will i'm really yeah i'm stoked i'm gonna listen to it as soon as i can um so uh one robert kelly <laughs> that's my robert always that's my people <laughs> so the so uh, this is funny so this is I, I didn't even think about it so um everyone's up in arms he so there's a new e expose documentary series about r kelly interviewing all these famous people like john legend and everyone just like yeah that dude's a pedophile and and he did this that and the other and he's already said i'm suing everyone involved which is oh wow which is real dumb don't do that r kelly yeah but but it is i told it's like that that's another celebrity kind of like chris brown that for some Uh reason we're just like yeah he peed in a 14 year old girl's mouth but like you know Trapped you in the closet was awesome. It was imagine if the the pissing you know happened today. Oh my god! 
Man. Over with. Over with, dude. Yeah. Like, take your, like, I got this get out of whatever free card, dude, and chill. Yeah, that's, yes. <laughs> yeah. You were, it's like Mike Tyson, dude. It's like you should have, or not Mike Tyson, OJ Simpson. Like, quit yeah. while you are ahead, bro. Dude, did, did you see the OJ Simpson and uh, when uh, Sasha Baron Cohen interviewed him on This Is America? No. Oh, dude, you gotta watch that. What did he interview him in prison? No, he was. No, he was out. I thought he was in prison. Was, I thought he was like, he in prison for now. life. He is now, but when did he? Wait, that's right. When did he go in, though? That was what, about maybe what, three years ago or something? It was recently, right? No, I think it was like, I mean, no, dude, like, I think it was like three years ago. He must have done this a while ago, like right before. Um, I don't I believe I'm going to go YouTube it as soon as we're done, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, it's, yeah, you got it, you got uh, That reminds me, so the funny jail story, so we, I was, uh, it was banana day in jail, <laughs> And uh, jeez, oh, that's so <laughs> awful, dude. <laughs> so, so I was about to eat. So I had like my squirrel master was a dude named named Courtney. You had a squirrel master? Oh hell yeah, dude! He he showed me he showed me the fucking ropes, dude. Uh, and, and he he was like my name Courtney, like a girl. But he was cool, man. He was smooth as hell. Um, but he was like, hey, he called me Chip for Chipmunk on account of my cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, hey, Chip, Chip. He, he he elbowed me. He goes, check it out, man. You learn a lot about a man by the way he eat a banana. And and, and he, he showed me. He's like, you got to break that shit off and put it in your mouth. He's like, don't be. You can't be, you can't be putting that thing in your mouth, son. He's like, you got to cut little pieces off, dog. Eat, eat it with a fork, man. I was like, okay. Now sit down, man. Cut that shit up, cut bro. Cut that shit up. See, look at that dude. Look at that dude. <laughs> He be putting that shit in his mouth, man. Crazy, <laughs> crazy. What, what, what kind of image is he projecting over there, man? <laughs> I'll just never forget. You learn a lot about a man by the way he eat a banana. <laughs> um, it's hilarious. Yeah. So the world's crazy. Trying to build a wall. Government shut down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got R. Kelly, R. Resurgence, Kelly, resurgence of Robert Kelly. You got the Saints whew, playing the Eagles. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel yeah. about that? Oh, we're gonna smash the Eagles, dude. I think so. I think yeah, so. we're gonna smash the Eagles. And we're gonna smash Scotty Barnes in the face. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, yeah, dude. So going out of town, we're going to Colorado this week. Oh, that's uh, right. Wait, on Wednesday, right? Yes, sir, bro. Uh, it's awesome. The, the trick is going to be for me to leave work in Louisiana and just be able to enjoy my vacation. And just leave it where it is. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. it sucks thinking about all the shit you're going to come back to. <laughs> like vacations yeah. as, as an adult are so bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. You just got to try to separate that stuff and have it, you know, be there when you get back and, you know, just fucking... You'll be fine. Yeah, I'll be good. We'll we'll smoke hella legal weed too. Yeah, <laughs> and I think mushrooms are already legal there too, so you can do I don't that. Know. So are you get so uh, you're gonna start taking mushrooms then when they're legal? No, I am already. You're gonna, dude. 
the uh, the public commutes are going to be way more interesting. <laughs> They're already so bad. Everyone goes like 20 miles under the speed limit here, dude. Oh, that's hilarious. So but when I move back to Louisiana, you know, God willing, I will die in traffic well, just because I'm not used to it anymore. So tell me this. like, Do, do you walk around and often smell weed? Dude, all the time. <laughs> I don't... I don't understand it. I'll be in the middle of an interstate with no city, like no no close to weed shop. Or, like I'll just smell it on the interstate all day. Good grief! I don't understand how it's even possible for me. Like, is everyone just blowing out their cars? Like, why do I smell pot while I'm that driving? Happened, I think so. I, I was driving down the. Inter- I was driving down I forty nine, and I was like. I was like, that's dank. That's weed. And then, I, and then, I, sure enough, I looked ahead of me, and there was someone hitting a vape pen and blowing it out their sunroof, right? And I was oh, like, that's yeah, you, guys. Because they were you. kind of swerving, yeah. too. And I was like, that's yeah. you. That yeah. is you. I think it happens so much out here that, like, it just stays in the air, whether someone's smoking well, or not. You, you, dude, you, like, when you don't smoke, you forget yeah. how that shit smells. I'm hyper aware, dude. Like, yeah, the other day, the other day I was at a meeting and somebody was drinking. I mean, he's alcoholic. That too. And like, I, like I got, when I got home, I smelled alcohol on me. Yeah. Like it was, that's never happened before. I was like, holy shit. Like I've been sober way too long. That's why I stuck. That's why I stuck to uh, injectable drugs. Cause you ain't smelling that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You only smell it when you taste it in your mouth. Well, when you yeah. Or, well, I lie. I, I'm pretty sure. Like I'm pretty sure meth was coming out of my pores at one point. And <laughs> yeah. It smelled awful. It's a very unique smell, dude. I thought like, I ugh. smelled it the other day. It's so unique. It's I gross. hate it. Man, oh, it's gross, gross, man. gross. Oh, nasty drug. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, man. Uh, I think that's about it. Send us an email, churchandotherdrugs at gmail dot com. Would you take mushrooms if they were legal? Um, find us on Patreon, patreon dot com slash churchandotherdrugs. The newest episode. I just spent an hour shitting on Bird Box. <laughs> so, oh, I heard it. Did you listen to it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good. You? I mean, I don't know. I... <laughs> Because you liked it, man. We should have got Look, you on there as a bird box apologist. I, <laughs> <laughs> this has become catastrophic on that level, right? Yeah. It was, it was all right. It was all right. I thought. Yeah, okay. It was all right. It was all right. Yeah. It was all right for like an hour and a half. Then I was like, can this be over now? Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly. Enough said, dude. Um, <laughs> all right, yeah. Uh, well, see y'all uh, next time. In the future. Peace.
Why, 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 why